Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm Mason S. I'm an addict. I'm here with my partner in crime, OTK. Yeah, yeah. We're back for episode number two. So we made it to a little over five countries and 16 states with our first episode. So we're excited about that. A lot of good feedback from Chase. We got another special guest. His name is Mr. Ryan R. How you doing, Ryan? I'm blessed, man. Got a good to have another day on the team. Good to have another. Hey, so if you don't See, mind, I didn't get the same answer I gave Travis a while ago, so give me an out Well, we were trying to set you up for that. We was, uh, we didn't really mind, but it's okay. So give your, give us your clean date and uh, tell us who your home group is and where it's at. All right. My clean date is 92986, and my home group is Survival Group, Florence, Alabama. I've just recently gone back to it after being away from it for about 15 years. <clears throat> So 1986. That's before you was born. That's before I was even born, man. Tell us, for all of us up in Tennessee that that don't have enough fingers and toes, how many years is that? That's 36. 36 years. That's awesome. So that actually leads us right into my first question, man. So what was it like getting clean in the 80s? That's really a hard question to ask because I don't know anything about what it's like to get clean in any other time. You know, NA was still kind of a novelty at the point when I got where when I got clean, and we took we being the local fellowship that I was a part of took a lot of crap out of people in AA, and uh, probably a lot of it was deserved. <laughs> they they referred to survival group as circus world, and uh-huh. <laughs> I said they the people that I brushed up against right and i'm not saying everybody in AA felt that way but you know how we are we've never met a conspiracy theory we didn't like and uh, it's us and them and they and you know they kind of poked fun at us and said we wasn't ever gonna fly and hey we're still flying man you know all them some bitches that said that are gone How's the landscape changed as far as NA as it relates to Alabama? Like, how's the landscape changed from 1986 until now? Well, I don't think we have an inferiority complex anymore because we don't have to. It's, you know, just that. And uh, I know we're still in a minority, but you and I both know, all of us know, that the days of the old dyed in the wool, purity old, nothing else, but an alcoholic, alcoholic, our fucking history, man, you know, that right. don't hardly exist anymore, uh, even though they their own drug-specific fellowship. So, Ryan, did Survival Group actually start in Sheffield, or did it start in Florence? Started in Florence at Trinity Episcopal Church in the summer of 1980. Well, I've heard your story before, and I've heard you mention the fruit stand in Sheffield. Seems well, like. that's where Survival Group was meeting when I got clean. And they had met like three other places at least before that, before I got clean. 
And uh, uh, one of them was at the community agency on Dr. Hicks. And I'm not sure where the other one was. For the first year I was clean, we made it the old fruit stand in Sheffield, and it's not there anymore. You know, it's a, there's a credit union on that lot where it used to be. All right, so you All came right. in um, in 1986. How long was it before you started to realize that this thing may work for you, and you kind of gained the hope that Narcotics Anonymous was, you know, maybe the path that um, you should take as far as your recovery goes? Well, my memory is so piss poor that it's really hard for me to give you a good answer to that. I wasn't here for that when I first got here. I was here to stay out of the penitentiary. That was my motivation for getting clean. Uh, and I had at least enough self-honesty. I tried enough of doing it my way in the past to know that my way wasn't going to work. And I wasn't going to stay clean for the sake of being clean, I was staying clean for the sake of not going to prison. And that's kind of what the choices that I was given. And, you know, I'm grateful that my consequences of my past kept me here for them until I could ultimately be here for me. And I would say that process took several years. So you've been clean a little over or well over three decades now. So I know there's been some low points, surely, over that over that period of time. Would you care to share with us what some of those was and, you know, how you got through it? Went through a divorce, uh, which there's nothing really uncommon about that. But the, the good thing about that process was that I got to watch my sponsor go through one when he had 10 years clean and watch him go through another one when he had 20 years clean. So when it was my turn... I had that experience, strength, and hope to fall back on. And I knew that I could go through that process without, you know, I hate to say having to get high because I hadn't had the desire to use in 35 years. You know, does that mean it don't pop in my head? No, it does not mean that. But it means that it hadn't came and camped out on my porch and stayed there all day long in decades. And that's how I define the desire to use. Since you've lost that desire and it hadn't been there in 35 years, so tell us in which ways you do see the disease active in your life today. Uh, anywhere that there's possible obsession and compulsion. <laughs> Food, sex, money, spending money, acquiring money, anything that I like that remotely changes the way I feel, I feel the disease is going to be a part of that. Some of it's destructive and not, but not all of it is you know uh, there's there's <laughs> there's good things we can do with obsession and compulsion i've not experienced obsession and compulsion being are being delivered from obsession and compulsion it's still there it's about finding those healthy things you know to try to channel that obsession in you know that, that's been my experience it's just like character defects I've never understood stood the sixth step, you know, and I've been here for a while. And what the hell is the point of me asking God to do something that he sheer it ain't never going to do? I've got every defect I walked in the door with, and I believe I'm going to die with them. I just don't have to die of them. Now, the shortcomings are kind of a different matter because they've been greatly reduced. The seventh step lives in between inspiration and action. 
for me. And uh, I've always got a choice to do the same old shit that I used to do. I just don't have to go do it today. Sometimes I do it anyway. <laughs> I know y'all don't know nothing about that. I don't huh? know anything else. Yeah. Maybe a little. I know the fellowship has changed a lot over that period of time. Hell, it's changed quite a bit, you know, since we've been around. Was it difficult for you to deal with some of those changes? Because I know, I know, I've heard, I've heard it shared a bunch of times about, you know, I grew up the old school way where they used to tell me to sit down, shut the fuck up, and if I want to know how to use, I'll ask you. How's your mindset on that changed over the past three decades, or is it has it changed? Well, I guess it must have because I don't really do that much anymore. But I can remember sitting in a meeting at the fruit stand, regurgitating some treatment speak bullshit that I picked up somewhere along the way. And uh, old boy sitting across the table from me says, you might ought to think about setting the fuck down and shutting the fuck up. Well, you ain't got nothing to the share but the goddamn disease. If we don't know about getting high, we'll ask you. We don't know about recovery. We'll let somebody know something about it. Talk about that. And uh, I, I told Terry about that experience. And he said, God damn, I'd have left and never come back. I said, well, I didn't. And both of us were still here. You know? And uh, that was 36 years ago. And uh, he's got 41 years clean now. And uh, didn't kill him to tell me that. And I got 36 years clean. It didn't kill me for him to tell me that. And I suspect it was right on time. Talking about those changes, do you think it's important that we continue to change and adapt throughout the fellowship? I'm sure in 1986, you never thought you'd be on a podcast on a computer screen talking about Narcotics Anonymous, you know, 30 something years later. Do you think it's important that we continue to grow and adapt and find new ways to reach that still sick and suffering addict who maybe um, needs to be reached in a different way than it than we were reached, you know? I believe if we don't grow and adapt, we'll perish. I really believe that. Of course, I couldn't foresee myself being on a podcast in front of a computer. There weren't computers. <laughs> and damn sure it wasn't podcasts. There was no internet. Uh, you know, there were no cell phones. There was no crack. I got cannon clean in the BC area before crack. Before crack. <laughs> <laughs> At least in Florence, Alabama, there was. Well, let's let's go uh, a different direction. Something else you probably didn't foresee coming, and that was around 2020 when the pandemic hit. Talk about kind of how big a change that was, and I kind of know your experience with this, but share it with people because you never know. We may be forced back into that someday. Share. It. I, I know your experience is positive, and and a lot of people, you know, that's been around for. A long time never really gave it a shot and i know that you did and it turned out okay well uh it's probably the most important thing that happens that has happened to my recovery in the last 10 or 15 years and i say that because uh you know i got two old friends don and rusty that have been doing zoom meetings for years and have been after me and after me to get on there and do it with them. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I noticed y'all got the same password that they do on that meeting. <laughs> it's kind of the universal password. <laughs> password. <laughs> but uh, I just kind of, I kind of made a business decision to quit going to face-to-face -face meetings out of fear. 
you know, and uh, my home group, it didn't quit meeting, but it quit meeting indoors. It met in a shelter. So, you know, out behind the church, which in February, that's not really a nice place to be. Uh, survival group never missed a meeting. You know, not a, not a single one. And that's one of the real blessings of having your own place where you're not beholden to anybody else. Like a church, you're kind of at their mercy. They say you can't come, you can't come. But uh, that forced me to become involved in Zoom meetings. And uh, as a result of that, I kind of stumbled in some meetings in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And I just fell in love with those people. A lot of people might say that was a God deal. and Maybe it was, you know. Uh, I certainly don't understand he, she, or it. And the day I start telling you I do, you better get the hell away from me. But uh, uh, <laughs> that I just connected uh, spiritually and emotionally with those folks. And uh, I just, you know, and they were meeting like three times a day. And I went to most of them for a while. You know, and that, this was like in February of 2020. And... I really got kind of hooked on it, you know, and developed relationships. I've got a sponsor that lives there. I, I just uh, got Terry hooked on it too. And uh, as a result of that, when he hit a big financial home run here a year or so ago, he got his wife got a new car and he and I got a trip to Ireland out of the deal. And uh, <laughs> so we got to go to Belfast and spend 10 days there back in July of 22. Expanded the relationships that I have there. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a whole lot better at, at maintaining contact. He, he has contact with people on a daily basis. You know, those people are in my thoughts and prayers on a regular basis. And I'm, I'm going to try to go back in October. They're having their the Irish National Convention in Belfast in October. And I'm going to try to wrangle up a few thousand bucks and carry my fat ass back over there again. So how long has NA been in Ireland? It's, uh, I can't tell you exactly that, but it's got to be close to 30. There are oh, people wow. there in the high 20s clean. And uh, i tell you a neat story about a, one of my, one of my old timer friends in uh, Belfast, he uh, he told me about being sitting in a meeting one day, and uh, two guys with ski masks and AK forty sevens walked in the meeting and says, "We catch any of you fucking Catholics down here again, we're gonna kill your ass." And I went, "Hmm, that's what you call a willingness check, boys." <laughs> and they managed to keep all that stuff, and I mean that stuff, that underlying stuff is still there. And alive and well, but they keep it out of the meetings. And somehow or another, the people in the neighborhood or whatever fixed it where they didn't have that happen again. But uh makes you grateful for our lack of problems that we have if you think about it. We don't even know. Uh most of us over here in the States don't even know how fortunate and how damn spoiled we are, really as far as being able to, to attend meetings for the most part, you know, and there's some people that are really going through a lot just to be able to make a meeting. You know, I think about the story, like the story you just told the story about, you know, in the middle East where women are meeting in secret and, 
you know, they're risking their lives to come to a meeting, you know, and um, we just don't know how fortunate we are. It kind of reminds me of those early days when NA first started, when two addicts would meet, that they had the possibilities of going to jail, but they most certainly wasn't going to lose their lives. You got that right. You know, what keeps you coming back today, man? I, I know you've returned to in-person meetings and you're still doing a little bit of Zoom on, on the Sunday mornings, but... You know, after all this time, and I know you just celebrated a birthday, um, what keeps you going, man? Well, because I like it. You know, I've replaced old bad habits with new good habits. And uh, I don't have to go to meetings. I get to go to meetings. I, I saw a friend of mine Tuesday night. This guy's coming up on two years for me. And I've been, I've been concerned about him for a year, you know, and, he walked up to me and said, I know, I know, I know I need to go to a meeting. And I thought to myself, no, man, you need to go to a bunch of damn meetings. The meeting ain't going to do you too much good. <laughs> but I didn't say that. Um, I probably should have. It's not like me to filter myself out too much, but, uh, as y'all both well know. <laughs> uh, I come because I like it. And I come because I want to. And uh, are my motives pure? God, I hope not. I hope I don't ever get where I'm here about anything. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about, you know, coming up through, you know, the, the late part of the 80s and coming through the 90s. What's some of the service that you were involved in that kind of helped um, the development of, you know, the fellowship down there? Well, I was involved in both the group area and regional service during that period of time. And of course, that's the period of time when there was all the upheaval around the production of the fourth and fifth editions of the basic text and the introduction of the baby blues and the, you know, all the political back and forth that was going on. And uh, as I said before, I never met a conspiracy theory I didn't like, you know, and I was drawn right into that controversy. And I might be the only person that you know. I know you know another one, too. I received a cease and desist letter from the law firm representing Narcotics Anonymous World Services. Well, let me tell you something. That'll create some feelings. <laughs> and the main feeling that I felt upon receiving that letter was shame. And I felt ashamed because I hadn't truly done anything to merit that letter. And I was kind of wishing that I had. <laughs> and I, I still kind of feel that way. And hell, there are a lot of people got high behind all that shit, man, and, and left NA, and some of them died, you know, and some of them have come back, and some of them hadn't. But I just, I kind of got to the point for me that I can't let that shit keep me out of here, man. And, uh, I'm not going to sit around with a knot in my stomach anymore. And I believe there's some people I'm pretty close to that still got that knot. So what is service like today for you? I'm probably not as willing as I used to be. I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I am my group's secretary and I'm doing kind of a moderately acceptable job of that. Okay. And I've recently, Shannon asked me to commit to doing one 
night a month, one Monday night a month at the Sheffield Jail, H and I. And I told him I'd do that. We'll see how long that it ain't started yet. So uh but that's about all I'm willing to do, you know. I've I've been before where I had four or five service commitments at once. And my experience with that is that uh I don't do any unjustice when I do it. You know, I th- I think I'm much better off doing one thing and doing it at least approaching well than doing a whole bunch of stuff half-assed. So, you were talking about, you know, the, the history with the baby blues and how that, you know, affected us, how it affected you. What do you think you could say to some, you know, some members that will be involved in the, you know, whether we like it or not, there's a political side to this thing. What do you? What would you say to them? about preventing that in the future? What are some of the things you look back on and, and you hope that we learn so that we don't repeat the history of that, you know? Well, I think it goes back to the first tradition and and unity. And when I share about the first tradition, I share about I've got some experience being involved in and fomenting disunity. And the best way that I know of to do that is name-calling, finger-pointing, taking sides, them and they, and us and them. And, you know, my, my experience is trying to try to love people where they are and don't try not to divide up into teams. But, I mean, I feel hypocritical when I say that because I'm a team-picking motherfucker, by God, and just uh, – <laughs> <laughs> but I, I try to not be real obnoxious about it. <laughs> to me, you know, when you really think about the first tradition and how we apply, it, regardless of what side you are on any of the discussions, because I mean, we're not all going to agree, and you know, some there's going to be there's going to be those times where, you know, the large sum of people believe that it should be this way, and another large sum of people should believe that it's that way. But there's room for all of us in NA, you know, if we really have an understanding of the tradition and we practice it, you know, um, not letting those differences drive us out of out of out of the rooms, you know. But you know as well as I do, that's a hell of a lot easier said than done sometimes. Amen, buddy. <laughs> I can go us and them in a heartbeat. <laughs> so Ryan, share your story about your experience with wanting to get something rid of in your home group. And how that worked out. I'll share that story. I sure will. Uh, what what you're talking about is my experience with the, with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we used to often open and close the meeting with that prayer. And, uh, and I, I, you know, there was a woman that was a part of our group. Uh, she was born overseas and she was not a Christian and she would stand in a circle. We used to circle up back in, back in, back in the pre-COVID days. And uh, she would stand there and not participate in the prayer. And I thought to myself, something's wrong with this picture. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the serenity prayer is pretty nebulous. The word God is very nebulous. It can have a lot of different connotations. But our Father who art in heaven, that ain't nebulous at all, you know. And I just felt like it was wrong for us to be using that prayer. So 
I made a motion at a, at a business meeting for us to stop using it. And it got seconded and passed. And you'd have thought I had made a motion to start sacrificing babies in the meeting hall up there or something, you know. I mean, people got their panties in the water. We ended up with 31 people at a survival group business meeting on a Tuesday night. And my, and my motion to do away with that went down in flames, 29 to 2. <laughs> and the only person that voted with me was my ex-wife. And she never voted with me about anything, Marcus. <laughs> What's that about? You know, but, uh, uh, and I just, you know, I kind of felt that like a stinging personal defeat. But I had a choice. I could practice some acceptance on that. Or I could take my toys and go home. And uh, at that point in time, I knew I didn't have any home to go to. I was home. And I needed to let that go. And, buddy, let me tell you, I didn't do another thing about that. And it just went away all by itself without really anybody doing anything. Because I think people thought about it for the next year or so, you know, or how the hell ever long it took. But, uh, that was uh, kind of God showing up and showing out for me, man. I'll never forget that. I noticed that too with um, our group. I know that we had to get to a point, but sometimes the point that we're trying to get to doesn't have to necessarily be right this moment as long as we're working to get get there. And I struggle more than anybody with taking baby steps to there. You know, because I get real selfish and self-centered, and I think that I know better than the other people or the group. And it's not that it's never going to get there. When we get a motion like that shut down, it doesn't mean that it's the right or wrong thing to do. It just maybe it, the time's not right yet, and people are not ready to accept that change, whether it goes against the traditions or not, because we broke traditions for a while, you know, but eventually we got there. And, and I never – I had a – it was actually uh, Stacy shared with me, you know, the, how difficult that a lot of those changes were. Cause when they first got clean, that's what the meeting was to them, regardless of what were they were doing right or wrong. That's what that meeting was. So over a period of time, as that began to change, it was really hard for them. And I never looked at it from that. I was new. So I just heard my sponsor say, well, you're not really supposed to do that. And I came in, you know, guns a blazing. And I followed him and Travis followed me. <laughs> that was my 29 to two right there. So, um, <laughs> and we, and we got shut down a lot, just like you're talking about, but eventually, you know, it, it works out. And, and, and the reason why I share that is because somebody may be listening, you know, who's going to walk in there and finally study all month. Like I used to do, study all month, think about this motion, write it up all, use the correct terms, take it right in there and then get it shot down in a blaze of glory. And it's real easy to say, you know, fuck every one of y'all. I'm never coming back to this place. You didn't do, you know, take my ball and go home. Like you said a minute ago. So I think that's important for people to know that, you know, just keep coming back. Yeah, I agree. All right, man. So before we uh, wrap it up, we all, we're going to start implementing this little section. Um, we actually um, asked for a question from a listener 
it's kind of like an ask you basic type deal. And today the question is from a guy named Jackie W. And he says, how do I know when I have toted enough wood and water? <laughs> Tell J- JW, I said to kiss my fat white boy ass. How about that? <laughs> Oh, oh boy. <laughs> hey Ryan, uh, man, we we've sure appreciated you being on here, man. Is there anything going on, event or anything going on at your home group or or something you're involved in that you'd like to make it a an NA related announcement on here? I can't think of nothing right this minute, uh, other than our Sunday morning NA port in a storm, ten thirty on Sunday morning central time speaker meeting that we do every Sunday. I don't have nothing to do with my home group. That's just me and Terry. But uh, uh. yeah, and and we'll get the information of that, and we'll post it underneath. We'll put, post the link underneath this podcast in that, so people can check that out if they want to. Y- y'all do that every Sunday morning. Yeah, my buddy Richard S is uh, is talking this coming Sunday. Give you a chance to get to know him. He's got I don't know mid to late twenties clean and. He ain't been here but a couple of years. He moved here from Florida. All right. All right, Ryan. Well, we sure appreciate it, man. And uh thank you for doing this. Man, thank y'all for asking me. It was yeah. fun. I mean, it's 30 minutes has gone by pretty quick. <laughs> it sure has. All right, that's all we got for the podcast this week. Uh we'll be back. We're gonna try to do this weekly. We will try to post every Monday night, so thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.